Thank you. Right. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Stat 2? Who'd want to do that? Sequels suck. No. Two in the box! Ready to go! We be fast and they be slow! Wow! A second Super Saiyan? Second in order, perhaps, but by no means in stature. Your fight is with me now. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. Oh, please, please. By definition alone, there are fewer your films. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in again to another episode of Inside the Sequel. You know what this show is. This is the show where we talk about sequel movies that don't get enough love. They kind of get thrown on the wayside or, frankly, people think their originals are just better. And sometimes that's just plain wrong. So this is the show where we're trying to make a case for why these sequels deserve to uh, belong in those conversations. itself. Maybe some of the best or better than their predecessors. Uh, My name is Chris. I'm your host. Uh, if you're tuning in for the first time, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we love to have new listeners. If you ever have suggestions uh, on an episode you'd like to hear or be a part of, feel free to email the show at sequelpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at uh, Inside Sequel. Uh, but today I'm here with a special guest where we're tackling uh, debatably one of the greatest sequels, if not horror sequels of all time, and one I, I think everyone who listens to the show knows it's uh is very important to the intro uh but we're talking today about scream 2 no mega beta zeta hello yes who is this cc who's this who do you think who are you calling for what if i said you what if i said goodbye Why do you always answer a question with a question? I'm inquisitive. Yeah, and I'm impatient. Look, do you want to leave a message for someone? Do you want to die tonight? I see it. Someone's out to make a sequel. You know, cash in on all the movie murder hoopla. So it's our job to observe the rules of the sequel. The body count is always bigger. <laughs> Death scenes are always much more elaborate. <clears throat> more blood more gore your core audience just expects tackle scream 2 is a uh, first time guest uh he is a friend oh not a friend uh yet hopefully after this he'll decide to keep me as a friend and want to be on this show again but um he's actually um partners with one of my co-workers at work his name's curtis who also used to run his own or still continues to run his podcast uh, but his name's Curtis. Curtis, why don't you say hi? Hello. Hi, Curtis. So you had a podcast. Uh, Amy um, had told me about. Uh, what is the name of that podcast? Um, hey, I've had a couple um, over the years. The one I'm working on or doing right now actively is called Scary as Heck, um, which <laughs> is uh, primarily about horror stuff. Um, right now it's mostly kind of movies especially we're kind of in the spooky season kind of thing so um and so that's mostly we was talking about that um we're right now going through the friday the 13th franchise that i um am mostly new to i've seen a couple of them but uh most of them are, are fairly new to me so 
Oh, that's so great. Uh, scary as hack. I, I believe that does sound familiar. Amy had told me about some of the, she said you did a lot of podcasts. I was like trying to keep track on which one it was. And I'm honestly really jealous when she <laughs> said that. Cause I was like, I wish I had done a lot of podcasts. Yeah, I um, did one back in um, 2013. I did one uh, with a couple of friends of mine called Midwest Electric Pleasure Show for about a year or so. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. That we kind of, I mean, life kind of gets in the way, and you know, we all um, we kind of relocated into stuff. But I've done a couple. I did one called Ozarks Explored that um, we covered like different urban legends and myths and stuff in the Ozarks region. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I've done a, I've, I've dipped and dived into d- different kinds of podcasts over the year as a hobby. Well, that's so great because I'm so excited to have you on there. I love to meet new people who share this crazy passion of uh, talking about movies and and kind of giving thoughts on there. So I'm so happy you could join us today. And I got really excited when you said you were going through the Friday the 13th franchise. Are you aware or are you getting that new... um, Friday the 13th box set that Scream Factory is putting out? Have you heard um, of this? My brother is getting it. He is a lot more... Part of the reason for that podcast is that my, my brother's really, really, really into horror stuff. Um, in fact, if you... Especially for like horror like Godzilla stuff, he's a mm-hmm. good person to go to for that. Um, oh, good. <laughs> but he's getting that box set, and... Um, and part of it was um, I've always been interested in horror stuff, but not to the degree that he is. So it's kind of a, a the goal of it is to kind of see how we differ. And I'm always interested in the way people watch movies and um, how they perceive them or have they like how they, you know, how they why they enjoy them or don't enjoy them versus how I do. Because I always find it fascinating. Personally. Right. Oh, yeah. From in terms of genre to genre, I don't think there's a stronger community that's um like the horror community when it comes to these movies, yeah. the, the actors or the directors that are a part of them, and just the fandom. No, I mean, absolutely. That's <clears> something <throat> I've, um, I've found. That's something I found when doing this is, uh, especially for Friday the 13th, because they're both um, my co-hosts, my brother Daniel and uh, Heather, a friend of mine, ours. Um, she, they're both really, really in the Friday the 13th. And I, I've seen a couple of them over the time, but I don't, I don't have like a nostalgia for it or I don't mm. particularly feel like defensive of it or anything like that. So I don't have that relationship to it um like i might have with the screen franchise which we'll talk about later um but uh yeah so watching it's very interesting because they're like really into it and i'm just like every like the first like five movies i was like i i don't know they're not very good i don't think but yeah so it's been interesting so yeah that's so so crazy and awesome to hear that somebody is going through the friday the 13th franchise um i was kind of a late bloomer on it myself i always grew up watching nightmare on elm street um and then I'll watch a few Friday the 13th, mostly because like the, the the killer cut, the remake from 2009 was like coming out along with all those yeah. older 80s slash 70s, 80s slasher reboots. So I was watching that and like Freddy versus Jason, you know, and then obviously the original. So I didn't watch a lot of them until I got into like college. And then, you know, it's just a, for me, it was a rabbit hole for that first five. I was like, ooh, these are really fun. Uh, well, first four, excuse me. Um, I'm like, wow, I really like these movies. But it's so interesting to hear somebody come um, at another stage in their life and they're, they're like discovering. That's awesome. But Curtis, my biggest question is you're on this show. Amy told me, I, you know, you'd be perfect and I can't, you know, agree more. I really want to know, though, what is um, your history? Like, what are your takes on sequels? Like, do you like sequel movies? Like, give me your thoughts. Um, I I kind of feel like it. A very, I mean, it kind of depends. Um, I feel like most of the time, when, it, when there's a question of something should have a sequel, usually the 
the reasonable answer is no. Um, I, I think I think it kind of depends on if something is planned out to be a sequel versus something that is um, by the power of the masses that demand to have another one, <laughs> um, which being a Friday 13th seemed to be kind of like the um, kind of the problem of making those first several movies is that they, you know, they're every once per year and they are just trying to make it because people just kept paying to see it, but didn't seem like the people making it had a lot that they were like a real passion for it as much as they just wanted to, you know, hit the, the template of the movie basically. Um, so in those, I always felt like I mean, those feel like unnecessary ones um, versus something like, uh, scream specifically that has is a little more intentionally planned out and stuff that works better. Yeah, I love how um, in the first scream movie, since we're already gonna just talk about that, I love how um, uh, Matthew Lillard's character is like, we gotta have the sequel, baby, because these days you have to have the sequel. Yeah. And I was like, mm, music to my ears. She said everybody dies, but us, everybody dies. But us, we gonna carry on and plan the sequel, because let's face it, baby, these days. You gotta have a sequel. Ah! Uh, but Curtis, do you have like some favorite sequel movies that stand out to you? Like when you when somebody's like, "All right, give me your sequel movies that you like." Like, what are like your mainstays or your go tos? I feel like everyone um, should have those, you know. Like when it comes to that kind of discussion. Yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot of. I think it kind of depends on. I mean, there's some classic ones like um, uh, like The Road Warrior, Mad Max, um, stuff like. Um, I mean, also like deeper into um, the movie series, like to get to like parts three and part four. Um, there's some movies, you know, get better as they go on, um, yeah. like franchises uh, sometimes. So I mean, Mad Max again, Mad Max Fury Road later <laughs> on is still, you know, swinging pretty hard. Um, non non horror related though, um, I'm a big fan of um, Gareth Edwards. He directed um, the Red Raid Redemption and uh, mm-hmm. the Raid Two sequel, which I really, really, really adore. Um, it's very, very long. I, I really like long movies, um, especially movies like that that have like very slow moments and then very fast like action, like martial arts stuff. And mm-hmm. um, I'm a big fan of that movie. Um, so that's one of, I, of sequels. That's probably one of the ones that I, I kind of like the most besides Scream 2. Oh, wow. Yeah, I hear the red one and two are pretty good movies to check out. I mean, Gareth Edwards, uh, I have a love-hate relationship with him, especially when he did Godzilla 2014. Um, but no, that's, that's cool. Yeah. This, uh, this month I'm really trying to focus on, uh, horror movies. Uh, but this podcast by no means is just strictly combined, um, you know, going to just be horror movies all the time. Cause like eventually yeah. I want to talk about different, um, franchises and their sequels and, you know, part threes and part fours and stuff like that. I mean, when you talk about franchises, I mean, I think eventually if you, that first one got your butt in the seat, <clears throat> And then the see you go and see the second one and you're like not you know disappointed which rarely I'm disappointed with sequels but uh, I feel like that's like the recipe of like a, a franchise you know it's like okay we got them hooked the first one they were willing to see a second one let's just keep seeing if they're gonna keep coming and keep coming and more yeah. times than not their history that was the case I mean you talk about like the Rocky franchise the Fast and Furious franchise Halloween horror franchises especially and then you even get things like. The Lord of the Rings, like the first three are perfect, but no one ever thought they'd make the Hobbit movies. And then they ended up doing all three Hobbit movies, too. You know what I mean? So it's like there's always um, there's always a sequel waiting to happen, I feel like, you know? Yeah. And uh, I, 
Uh, there's kind of like, um, oh, I also want to correct myself. It's Gareth Evans, not Edwards. I always get their oh, names backwards. Okay. But anyways, um, but with sequels, I mean, part of the criticism you get um, for them a lot of times is that sometimes, especially for like big tentpole stuff <laughs> that you see like in the summer, is that they tend to um, sometimes it's like, well, do we need another one of this when maybe there could be like an original property that we could see like something newer instead of, you know, we get to the MCU where you've just oh, got boy. like, you know, 24 sequels, you know, over and over. And it's like, okay, well, these are fun and everything, but you know, what, what movies or what, what ideas or stuff are we not seeing because we got to make all this room for, you know, this whole universe <clears> is being <throat> established. So that's kind of a bush to pull. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, was one of those and this is where the internet is going to be up in arms but i was one of those people who really got like the mcu fatigue earlier on and i kept looking at movies and then the mcu and thinking it's making so much movies it's almost bad for movies does that make sense it's kind of like to put a sports <laughs> reference my when michael jordan was playing in the 90s and dominating there was a question of if he was bad for the sport because he was winning and making so much money that yeah. other, you know, people there wasn't room for any but uh, anything or anyone else. Kind of the same thing with those movies when they were coming. Like um, I always did say, like eventually we're gonna get probably an MCU Oscar. We did with Black Panther, and then looking at hindsight, that was probably the one that should have gotten nominated, if not maybe also Endgame, uh, for some sort of Academy Picture Award. Uh, but yeah, I, I, that's a, that I do plan on doing the MCU films at some point. I say that exhaustingly because that there's a lot of those. So Curtis, yeah. you might be someone I have to tap to help me with that. <laughs> I have, I mean, I've seen, um, I, I've seen all of them in theater when they come out. Uh, but that's oh, kind of the you. thing with MCU is that, uh, for the most part, most of my most of them I don't see again. Like a lot of them I saw in theaters, and that was the last time I saw it. Uh-huh. Um, like Thor, Dark World, or oh, you know, ones like that. But, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know. It's I never got like a huge fatigue. I think I'm kind of over it now. Like I'm not quite as looking forward to the newer like newer section they're doing. But um, yeah, I I, fe- I do feel like um, there's sometimes they think that gets so successful because it gets so successful. Mm-hmm. Then you've got like these DC movies coming out and then they got to you know, <laughs> reboot Jurassic Park and do its thing. And all these things that kind of, it just is like snowballs and it's like, okay, but you know, I'd like to go back to, you know, sometimes having like a really good comedy being made or something like that. That gets really popular. That I feel like does it because people are so obsessed with these movies that are coming out like two or three in a, in a year. Right. And I think a lot of it has to contribute to the fact that, moviegoers they see these movies but they're not just seeing the movies they're seeing these actors play these characters like robert downey jr the best career move was being iron man because he literally is iron man so like people would go to see just iron man instead of seeing like you know an avengers movie or or a civil war you know like i want to see robert downey jr so i feel like a lot of these sequels they see the fast and furious movies it used to be just about fast cars and like hip-hop and stuff yeah which but like and i love that first uh, fast and furious but then you People love Vin Diesel and they loved Paul Walker. So they saw them because of those actors, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting formula that goes into these franchises. And I think you, to really get a solid franchise, you got to have a very good cast or somebody that sticks out for people to latch onto. Uh, but that, I, you know, we could go on and on. I, I had my friend Daniel. I don't know if you've listened to his podcast, but it's the Cobwebs podcast. I talked about him a lot. And it's a really good one. He talks about 
old 60s and older horror gothic movies like from the hammer horrors and like <laughs> universal monsters yeah and uh you, you know talk about picking the right stars for those movies i mean you think like the boris karloff's the claude Rains, you know and christopher lee's <laughs> i mean yeah. sometimes people just see those movies because of those actors but uh, he did also say when it comes to these franchises and like reboots and like you know just cranking them out you're right it doesn't leave a lot of room for these comedy movies to come out and then he's always like well why don't they just make a dinosaur movie but don't call it jurassic park you know something original yeah. that's like jurassic park to give that a chance you know yeah no that's something i always think about is like why not just make a newer version of it and i'm not even against reboots and stuff as long as they're i mean they can be made really well um but i mean you can always tell when something's made just just to you know compete <laughs> basically have money with disney right yeah <laughs> oh boy um well curtis i feel like i kind of got an understanding where you're at with this and i'm really excited to talk about these movies but we have to talk a little bit about scream before we can get to scream two sure. um scream two came out in 19 uh, scream one came out in 1996 which is actually mm -hmm. the year i was born um did you see scream um like, how did you see Scream for the first time? I remember I rented it at Family Video because I, had lo I saw Wes Craven's name and I was like, oh, I love Nightmare on Elm Street. So I'll check this one out. Yeah, I think when I don't recall that I saw Scream in theater, I was about eight when Scream came out. Um, I'm pretty sure I saw Scream 2 maybe in theaters way too young somehow. <laughs> I'm not I can't remember. The 90s were a very different time, I feel like. <laughs> Um, but I do feel like, cause I, I saw these movies like way more earlier than you're supposed to. Um, but I saw them in the, you know, around when they came out in the late nineties. Um, um, I think actually Scream 3 was the one I saw. I think I saw those both on VHS. Um, and then Scream 3 came out about 99 or 2000. And I think I was old enough there that they would, I, I, you know, I was 13 or so. Um, but yeah, I saw Scream and, uh, Scream 2 were both like VHS that we just had in our VHS cabinet of, movies that we could watch in whenever we wanted before we had Netflix and stuff like that where you could just turn on a whole library of stuff. Uh, the good old days. Yeah. yeah. The, the Scream... Uh, yeah, with Scream 1, I saw... Um, boy, I think it just was at the DVD shrinking, like where Family Video had transitions from... You saw a few VHSs, but then they started just doing DVDs. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's where I saw it, and... You know, seeing that I was kind of like you with the Nightmare on Elm Street, where I was watching those movies way too early um, as a child that they in impacted me. But when I saw that Wes Craven had done the Scream movie, I was like, oh, it's called Scream. So it has to be scary. Right. Yeah. And when I checked it out, I had no idea I was opening this like treasure chest of 90s nostalgia. Yeah. Which I love. <clears throat> uh, That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. I was going to say, what do you think of that? Do you think like it holds up like in like the 2010s? Um, actually, recently, uh, my wife and I went and saw it at a um, the Draft House like movie party um, for Scream last. I think it was last year, yes. um, and it really like there's something about seeing it in theaters or even seeing a lot of these movies in theaters that um, that I mostly had just watched um, you know on my own or with a small group of people um, that you miss out like when you are just watching it. Um, with, with just thinking about it on your own because when I'm watching movies in theaters and people are around especially one that I've seen before I'm always kind of like I'm watching it but I'm also like interested in how people are reacting to it because I, I enjoy like when people are really into it or mm -hmm. and things like that um, and I think the I think it does hold up pretty well and I think part of the reason it holds up is that 
Um, I, maybe it's kind of a millennial and on thing. Um, is that it seems like this meta style is very successful now. Um, when you with you know movies like Twenty One Jump Street or uh, <laughs> I'm actually all the movies those guys make um, Lego Movie, um, uh-huh. but also shows like Community and stuff. Um, that have like this meta part of it that is like winking to the person watching it. Like you, we know that you aren't, uh, we, we know what we're doing here. But at the same time, it, it also still delivers on being um, scary and fun. So Scream is like, it's, um, when you go to see it, you don't realize that like, it's le- legitimately a funny movie. And there's a lot of like, Almost to the point where, when like when uh, the scary movie parodies came out, <laughs> it's almost like why even bother? The movie is parodying itself at the same time as being a legitimately entertaining horror movie. Um, so, but that's what I think works and what makes it work even till today to enough where they still want to make more stream movies. Um, uh, that, that it's just it's it kind of appeals to that that style that's really um, prevalent now. Yeah. Oh, dude. Music to my ears. Uh, Scream. I really was like kind of introduced more to like what meta was with those Scream movies. I was mostly just a slasher kid growing up. I just like the blood and guts with like the fake blood, you know, and the masked killers was just my thing. Mm -hmm. And then when I saw Scream, I think I probably saw a scary movie parody movie before I even saw the Scream movies Uh, because Ghostface is so iconic. Mm-hmm. But when I watched it, I didn't realize like, man, this movie is so self-aware. Is this on purpose or not? You know, because when you when you think of Wes Craven and we have to talk about him, I mean, just such a horror icon just in the 90s doing these meta horror movies that kind of give a nod and uh, ode back to like his earlier works and like the compatriots that he worked with during those times. Um, it's just it's it, it makes me it's definitely like a film in horror movie lovers, like, like, you know, letter, you know, love letter and away from Craven. Cause I mean, I don't think you could see the screen movies without knowing who Wes Craven was and what he was doing with his earlier works. Right. And I feel like this movie is just him being like, Hey, you've all been supporting me for these. Well, it, Wes Craven is kind of an ideal for this. Yeah. As we mentioned, Wes Craven, Nightmare on Elm Street specifically has, um, I think it's, uh, what part, uh, Freddy's dead is the one that has like a, uh, it's like a movie in a movie, like documentary series about like the movie that the, then Freddy takes over, like into like the real world or whatever it is. Oh, New Nightmare, New Nightmare. A uh, New Nightmare. That's right. Yeah, I can't remember mm-hmm. which one it was. Um, yeah. Uh, so I mean, that's uh, uh, and uh, and actually interesting about the Scream is that um, Kevin Williamson that wrote it. Well, one of his big inspirations was uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, Jason Lives, um, which introduce a lot of some of these like meta analysis things in the movie where they have references to the fact that, you know, they know that you're watching this movie and the characters are kind of calling it out throughout the movie. Um, and then the director of that movie, Tom McLaughlin was originally going to direct scream. Um, oh, wow. it was written by Kevin Williamson, which is interesting, but, um, yeah, but him and uh, Wes Craven though, I mean, Wes Craven also is, um, even going back to like last house and left was, um, always like inserting like, weird bits of humor and stuff into it that really, really works in a different way that um, other horror movies, especially in the 80s, didn't really, couldn't really nail the way that he was doing it. Oh, yeah. And and I, I think that just attributes it to the type of person Wes Craven was. This guy, this sweet guy um, that you only hear nothing but positive and great things from, um, from the set after. Um, like he started off doing porn porn films, you know, and then yeah. he's doing uh, Last House in the Left and these um, these uh, 
you know, CD theater, late night, midnight movies, you know, and then he yeah. knocks it out of the park with Nightmare on Elm Street. And then, I mean, even earlier then, like, I, I, I still really like um, The Hills Have Eyes. You know, I didn't see the sequel yet, but maybe one of these days. Uh, and I absolutely adored it. Um, and then he does his ho- uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. And I just, I can't help, even after those sequels, he doesn't have a hand in them. They feel kind of like in the same vein, you know, like I yeah. feel like was ever doing them they're like we have to have some sort of comedy with it and i don't know if that's just because robert anglin was playing freddie every time or if they were just like you know this is what was craven wanted you know so we're gonna do that yeah but yeah with scream absolutely it it, it you're, you're, you're knocked out of the park it, it, it balances the the horror with the comedy and honestly it also for a '90s movie has a lot of like future stars in it too. Like yeah. I don't know if they were stars. Maybe you know better than me. I don't know if, like if Nev Campbell and David Arquette were super big stars at that time or Courtney Cox. But like I mean, they all had really good careers. I mean, I guess David Arquette did wrestling for a little bit too. But he married Courtney Cox, so you know he's the bigger winner. But um, you get I'm Jamie Kennedy. I, I guess he's not the biggest star, but um, yeah, you get Matthew Lillard in there too. Um, you had the Fonz in this yeah. movie. Um, it's just like so many of like off the beaten path actors, you know, giving some meta to their old works. Like I think there was even a leather jacket in the Fonz's uh, principal's office. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it just it's just so fun and it doesn't hold off on the gore either. Um, do you have a favorite Scream movie, um, Curtis, like from the four? Like, do you have like the one that's like, ah, this is my favorite one? Um, I, I think it really is Scream Two. Um, there's just something about like uh, it's it, it kind of go back and forth Scream One and Scream Two because I feel like they really exist as like a pair because uh, mm-hmm. they were kind of written mostly at the same time and they were you know Scream Two was made within a you know from a beginning year. to end from uh, within a year of the first one being released. Um, so they were kind of made like in lockstep and stuff, and I feel like. Um, something about Scream 2 just kind of ramps it up in a way, in a nice way that, um, it's hard to really say it exists as that good though, without having Scream 1 there though. So it's hard to really look at them separately, but I really find my, I really find that I enjoy Scream 2 probably the most. Yeah, I would say the same thing too. I've watched the first one just to, I don't know, whenever I watch the Scream franchise, I always have to start with the first one and then get through them, you know, like I can't like just watch Scream th- 2 or 3, you know? I was like, I have to start from one. It's kind of maybe like a Lord of the Rings kind of thing for me. I love the two towers the most, but I have to feel to watch The Fellowship first, you know, and then get to it. Um, I'm, a, I'm kind of the same way. I Like, if I, I can't just, like, watch uh, The Dark Knight, I have to watch Batman Begins, <laughs> and then I'll watch The Dark Knight. Um, ah, that's... Which is kind of annoying, but... Because uh, <laughs> sometimes you just want to watch it, but you're like, I, I feel like I have to watch this one, though. To get the full right. experience. Right. And that's that's uh, uh, sometimes a, I feel like it's a harder problem for me now as an adult than yeah. as a kid. As a kid, I would like I would watch Nightmare on Elm Street 2 any day of the week. And I would watch Two Towers on my VHS any day of the week and then watch yeah. Rocky 3 whenever, you know. But it's like <laughs> yeah. now I'm like, I feel like I have to like, you know, pay respects to the franchise and like watch them all the way in order still through. Um, what did you think in, in Scream 1 um, before we get to Scream 2? I mean, obviously the references are plethora there. Do you have like a few, when I was rewatching, I was like, oh man, I love this reference so much. Do you have one of those in like the first screen movie? I'm never, I'm never really good at picking out uh, lines and remembering them uh, very well. Um, I remember like, I think um, 
one of my favorite bits is I can't remember exactly what he, what he says, but uh, Matthew Lillard when they're sitting outside after they all learned about uh, Casey Becker getting murdered, and yeah. they're all talking about it. And uh, Matthew Lillard's uh, character, uh, like um, his name's gonna slip my mind, um, but uh, yeah, when he's like talking it very like brutally and describing it and like fantasizing about it and with everyone like right there. Um, it's just, it, it's the way he delivers it and really throughout the movie, the way he delivers it is such a funny, like it's such a good way of being like, like realistic, but also very like campy and silly. Yeah. I, they, they're all playing high schoolers and it's definitely like that first scream feels like a meta knockoff of like the first nightmare on Elm street with Nancy and her friends. Right. Yeah. And, but Matthew Lillard is just like in a old, his own world in that movie. And I love that. Like, I don't think there's yeah. any other characters in this so, whole franchise that was like Matthew Lillard. I love that. Yeah. I'm a big sucker for Randy. I'm not going to lie when he's in the video store and the girl goes like, Hey, what's the movie with the uh, ET's mom in it with werewolves? And he goes like howling, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, nice. You know, I think my... everything. Yeah, now everything Randy says is um, yeah very funny, and I I think though um, Matthew Lillard, my favorite line is uh, when he's like already been stabbed by uh, Billy, and uh, Sydney's kind of turned the tables on him a little bit, for making it seem like the cops are on their way, and that she's going to call his parents, and he's like, "My mom and dad are going to be so mad at me," um, <laughs> which is yeah, very funny. The way he delivers it is very very funny, but also like that teenager brain. Uh, showing up is a is a nice touch too. Right, right. I, I, oh man, isn't it? I, I didn't notice it till finally. Um, Billy, the 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 um, Sydney's boyfriend in the first movie. His last name's Loomis, Billy Loomis. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, is that's a Halloween reference right there? And I love Doctor Loomis in the first Halloween. So I'm like, do I like <coughs> Billy a lot more now? Even though I probably shouldn't. <laughs> His movie referencing. <laughs> Yeah, they had they do a lot of that in uh, in the screen ones uh, throughout the series where they can make nods a bunch of like different nods to different uh, franchises and stuff that it's always fun to kind of pick up on. Yeah, absolutely. It's just us film nerds is like heaven, right? Yeah. Um, but speaking of that, we got to move on to Scream Two, which Scream Two to me, um, I think is the best one. It's my favorite. Um, it just keep like you said, it ramps it up. Um, yeah. from the first movie and i love like how you said earlier it continues straight from um the first one um with in terms of like the characters you know uh but what do you think of that opening though curtis um yeah i like the it, it would also it's a nice such a nice way to like to set up the movie um and it's just like it feels like it, maybe when they're making scream maybe they felt like you know, they knew they're doing this very kind of meta thing and this kind of fourth wall breaking thing, but maybe it were reserved a little bit about it because it was, you know, it's it's not a, a normal thing to, for a, a movie like that. But it was so successful that I feel like, you know, Scream 2 is just like the let loose with it, like to really embrace and leaned into that uh, being like the big appeal of the movies is just how aware of itself that it is. So having, you know, uh, Omar Epps and Jada Pickett Smith, you know, who were at those times are, you know, you know, relatively big stars, mm -hmm. um, similar to Drew Barrymore in the first one, you got now two big stars in the beginning that are only going to be there in the first 12 <laughs> minutes. And, you, and everyone watching knows, okay, these two are going to be dead soon. Um, but the way like it, it's delivered is still like, it's got all that, you know, jam packed fourth wall breaking, but it still is kind of like, it's 
smart in the way that it's uh, it kind of carries out. It, it sets up the movie to be a little bit more. Um, uh, you know, it's got to be obviously the body count's gonna be higher right away because it's two being killed. Um, I mean, I mean, her boyfriend was killed in the first one, but I mean, there's two <laughs> the whole time. Um, and it's just a lot, it's a lot bloodier and stuff already. So, you know, like you're kind of going to be in for it. So I think it really sets up the tone of the movie and that, you know, like, okay, I know this has got to be a lot like the first one and you know, you're in good hands. Right. I just, I just missed being in the movie theater and just watching everyone in movie theater. I felt so jealous. Yeah. Yeah, It's a real bummer. (laughs) Yeah. But I can't, although when I was watching, I kept thinking, man, if I was in that crowd to see Stab, I would be so pissed off. Because it's like, I'm trying to watch this movie, and everyone's, like, stabbing each other and, like, jumping and screaming everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's something, if I, like, when uh, when Alamo does, like, their movie parties, it's kind of got that, not quite as, you know, let loose as that, but it has that same feel of people are, you know, you know everyone's seen it, or everyone's there to enjoy it. Um, but for a first-time watching movie, I don't know that I would be as into that happening. <laughs> right. I made a joke uh to one of my friends and i was like the op- like when the people are there to watch stab and going crazy and so and, you know and then eventually halle berry has her ha- gets her her stabbed in um i kept saying like i was like i feel like this is what critics thought how um audiences were going to react when they were when joker came to theaters if you'd like to call yeah. back to a sequel in the superhero <laughs> movies <laughs> You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. Uh, I just thought it was just like, you know, like they just thought it'd be so insane like that. Um, but Scream 2, like once we go and we, we see Sydney's like in, in college now and everyone's basically growing up, you know, a year after... Um, this has happened and you see Gail with her cool red streaks and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, Oh man, we're still in the nineties. I love it. You know? Yeah. Um, but what I couldn't, couldn't like believe this time around when I watched it was it's a, it's a 1997. So it's a year after in the quality of it is like top notch, if not even better than the first one in terms of like the camera work, yeah. the, the costumes and how everyone's like acting and stuff like that. I'm like, I cannot believe in a year's work that it was gr- dramatically improved over the first one already. And just even like on a technical standpoint. Yeah. They did a lot more. Um, I think, I mean, there's a lot more daytime stuff, but also uh, there's a lot more like um, outdoors, like location and kind of shooting things. That kind of like I feel like opens it up a little bit and lets mm-hmm. and you know do a, make kind of a, just like a, a prettier movie overall. Um, is that they kind of got to play around with that a lot. So there's a lot of different locations they're going to, and you get a better idea of you know this campus and stuff. Whereas the the first one, you're really taking place in a couple of specific areas. You don't get a lot of time in the school. You're mostly at this big house at the end or at Sydney's house and and stuff. So there's not a lot of traveling and stuff in that one. Yeah, and. The one thing I was happy to see was Dewey. Dewey's like one of my favorites. And to see him and he's limping. And then to me, it feels like this movie is like rewarding everyone who like paid attention to the first movie when he got stabbed in the spine. You know, yeah. so he's limping now and everything like that. Uh, you you can see that Jamie Kennedy's older because he has facial hair now. Instead yeah, of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just was like, oh, these small little like updates to these characters to make it show that, you know, it's been some time since we saw them again. Uh, but man, to me, 
I love, like you said, the college setting. I love how Sydney has a new boyfriend. And I kept thinking, I was like, oh man, it would, I was like, that guy, you know, he better know what he's been getting into with Sydney being like his girlfriend, you know, and like all this going on. I felt bad for Derek. Yeah. What's weird about that is, uh, and that I, we were watching it last night and that I, I never really put two new together, but it's weird that this movie takes place about 10 or 11 years after Stand By Me was made. Um, and so Jerry O'Connell went being from like the chubby kid in Stand By Me, and then 11 <laughs> years later is like this tall, handsome, leading man looking guy. It's, it's very, very strange. Oh, yeah, I know. And then you see a young Timothy Oliphant as well. And I was like, he was just in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He looks yeah, so like one of awesome. His first, uh, like, yeah, yeah, and then he's looking he really like, like this. they made him look really like Billy, like, like really like kind of sleazy looking a little bit. Um, but it, and I think they what they played so well is because all these movies when they came out, it's all everyone was talking about is trying to figure out who the killer is and that the mystery component of it. Um, but they did a really good good job with him, like like kind of like making him like all he's the obvious person that would be the killer, so it couldn't be him. Um, and so it's got to be someone else. So they did that really well. Yeah, that that film class debate talking about sequels that yeah. must be one of my favorite like scenes in any movie ever because it's just such a nod to like loving movies and they're all movies i enjoy except house two the second story because i haven't seen that <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah and then i love how um like again how aware this movie is and it holds up in 2020 because jamie kennedy calls timothy oliphant's character a tarantino fan and i'm like oh he's in film school and he loves tarantino that's so relevant to today. yeah yeah <laughs> he probably has Pulp Fiction in his po in his room somewhere, um, but yeah, I was always curious, like with Timothy Oliphant um, being basically a Billy Loomis, um, basically copy by copy, um, and then Sydney being friends with him, and then Sydney also dating Billy in the first one. I was like, how? Wh where's the attraction to these guys? They obviously look like maniacs. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. that was just a '90s thing, maybe. Yeah, I think with um, Billy Loomis, I feel like he was a very like that '90s haircut that they um, that Luke Wilson you see sporting in the mini movie Inside right. um, was very funny because that that swoopy like crazy long bangs thing was uh, a lot of these actors were on like Party of Five and obviously according to Gosh and Friends a lot of these like kind of TV shows um, that were that made them all relatively known. Um, but those styles and stuff were all like there's all over the place. You can see like even if you go back and rewatch like Gilmore Girls, you'll see like um, in the early 2000s that still kind of carries over and this, you know, kind of dudes with like long, like kind of longish medium <laughs> hair, just kind of, you know, oversized shirts and stuff like that. Yeah. And I always felt like Billy Loomis and then Timothy Oliphant's character, um, <coughs> Mickey. They feel like they're trying to look like Johnny Depp's character in Nightmare on Elm Street in a way, you know, kind of dark hair, yeah. brushed up, uh, but just more like the maniac, insane version of that. Um, I also love how the sororities and fraternities are thrown in for added horror for those who maybe went to some sort of Greek life in college. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, let's just get into like the kills of this movie. Um, what did you think of them? To me, I thought they delivered on every everything a sequel should what's, have in terms of kills. What's great about this one is they have because the first one had a couple they didn't have a lot of like very, very uh, gory kills. They had a lot of like you know this slasher like stab kills, but mm -hmm. um, aside from um, uh, Dewey's sister, you know, being 
uh, pulled up into the garage garage door, um, which doesn't have the best uh, uh, makeup work and stuff on it, but <laughs> is the most brutal of the movie. Um, in this one, the uh, the scene where um, they're in the cop car and, and then um, the ghost face takes over and they drive into the uh, the workers area with all the poles and stuff. And the way it goes like into his head through it um, is a really, really nice piece of uh, gore um, that isn't super common in the rest of the movie or even the previous ones um, that isn't really his thing. So when it happens, um, it's very brutal looking, but it also like you feel the movie kind of amp up when you see that. So it kind of delivers at the right moment, too. Um, so I really like that and the way it's made, but where it's placed in the movie too. Yeah, it, it felt like it felt like uh, Halloween twenty eighteen kind of took kind of borrow that scene. Yeah, um, with Michael Myers in the cop car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I also loved um, that scene, but I really loved the uh, what was it? Dewey and uh, Gail Weathers in like the film. Yeah, the school. soundproof. That's really yeah. Cool. That's such a great scene. Um, Ghostface feels so much scarier in this movie because you actually don't know where he is, even like in broad daylight, like you said. Yeah, I think it's uh, one thing too. I think that this one does better than the first one is that the, the, just the general set pieces that they use to get like the kill set up and all of that um, work so much better because you, you get he's got all these different stagings and things you can do uh, versus the first one that which primarily just was him. You know, people walking through, you know, the school or houses, you're not sure where if they hear someone or not, uh, which um, I mean, works in the first one just fine. Um, but I think in this one, they really found a nice way to, like, kind of amp it up and uh, get these kind of unique, like, kills that go on because they have, like, this theater stage. You have the one in the car. You have all this kind of more action stuff going on um, that uh, I think really worked really well. Yeah, I wonder, does this movie work better than the first? Because, like... No one is safe, I feel like, this time around. I feel like this movie, the first one really set up Sydney being, like, the lead and being safe, you know, yeah. and with a kind of a twist. But, you know, in this one, I feel like it was every every death was a surprise, I felt like. Yeah, I think when they, it's when they kill Randy, and um, I think that they really um, chose a good time to do that. Because it's not, it's about midway or earlier than mm -hmm. midway, even through the movie, that Randy gets killed. And I think that... Uh, Specifically, because he's so like uh, identified with the series, um, he's such a like a, a, a character, like an iconic character for the movies, um, and that that really like gives you that feeling of like okay, anyone can probably be killed if you're gonna kill Randy. Um, mm -hmm. So that works really really well. Yeah, I got to give Craven a lot of credit for that um, because he felt like the expert explaining things to the audience in each yeah. movie. You know what I mean? And I love his scene with Dewey explaining how to make a successful sequel. I'm like, your general audience expects it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, what do you think? I, 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 what I think is great about scream as well is like the, the, the obviously the protagonist is Sydney and like her affection towards Billy, you kind of question a little bit, but I feel like this time around the romance is like rock solid. I really think her and Derek work really well this time around in like terms of a believable relationship. Don't you say think there? <clears throat> I think so. And I, but I also think that Nev Campbell does a really good job of kind of conveying like, cause you could tell like she really wants to be like dedicated to it and doesn't want to let like this trauma of hers kind of overcome it and take it away from her. Um, so throughout the movie, when she gets these little glimpses of suspicion and stuff, um, she does a really good job of like portraying like how she's that, 
you could tell she's like in her face conflicted about it, but ultimately it keeps going to him. So at the end, when he's, you know, at the end trying to convince her that he's not lined up with Mickey and that he's not the other killer, you could tell her uh, she's not totally buying it. Um, she does a really, really good job, like kind of portraying that that kind of confliction because uh, she is really like is just trying to, you know, survive and and she just has like this awful like can't trust anyone kind of thing that they throughout the movie they set up and uh uh and that it, yeah, it does they just do really really well yeah and i think sydney prescott i think belongs in like the conversation of some of the best like um like horror movie icon characters you know like when you you get your laurie strodes obviously um, yeah final final girls final girls yeah, yeah. What what have you? And I think she doesn't get talked about. I feel like enough because I think she's so good in these scream movies. Like in each installment, she's like I think she gets better in each one. Yeah, and she's when you look at her as a like a final girl compared to some of the ones that you see in like um, Friday the Thirteenth or um, Nightmare on Elm Street or these other like slashes and stuff. Um, she's a lot more, um, especially even when you get the two like right away, you could tell like. You know, she is very, she's very independent. She's very, like, confident in herself. Um, and so when she, she gets that call at the very beginning, someone pretending to be uh, the stab killer or whatever, she's not phased by it. And she she kind of knows how to handle it. So I think they do a really good job of setting up her to be a lot more. She's the most probably like um, uh, the Sigourney Weaver in um, Alien of having oh, that amount of, yeah. like, ability and confidence um, that it makes it believable. It's not like she's like a Mary Sue kind of thing where the, she's super strong or something crazy like that. Or she is suddenly like knows everything about computers or has like this weird new ability that they introduce later on. Um, she just is learning from her experience and uh, she it's believable every every time. Yeah, that's what you, that's. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, that that's true. She is very capable. And I never for a second doubted that. Um what I do think, though, is um, not just her romance with Derek, but I also love Courtney Cox and David Arquette's relationship in this movie with yeah. Gail and Dewey. Because uh, you kind of got a little sprinkle of it in the first one. But after that, like, ne- like near the end of the movie, it doesn't really like touch on it, really, even though the ending is amazing. Um, in this one, it finally is like, hey, you know what? You kind of wanted more of Dewey and Gail. We're going to give you more of that, right? Yeah, it's such a smart way to soften her character that could otherwise just be... I think if any other, like, um, you know, your average slasher movie director from the 80s or 90s um, is working on this kind of movie, I think they just make Gale, like, the other um, antagonist against um, Sydney. But I think they do a really good job of, like, using Dewey... Um, as a way to soften her to the audience, so she could still have her hard edges and uh, <laughs> still be kind of like you know at, at odds with Sydney, but at the same time you still you kind of you want to root for her. So in, in a lot of ways, the, the Scream series like they both kind of function ultimately as like final girls, which is also a little unusual. Yeah, that is unusual. I, I didn't think about that, <laughs> but uh, I also did notice though that Gail Weathers got punched in the first one, and then she gets slapped in this one. Yeah. <laughs> which is a yeah. smart um i don't know just scream 2 i feel like it's juggling a lot more than the first one um in terms of like you're balancing the dewey and the gale you're balancing who the killer is you're also balancing sydney and Derek, but then you're also like balancing uh now the new character cotton who was 
talked about in the first movie with Sydney's mother. He's yeah. like been released now. So you kind of have to balance that. And then you have to, we kind of follow Gail and like how it is being a news reporter with her. Um, it's just, I feel like in this movie, Craven is balancing so many things and like, it doesn't feel like a waste of time ever. Cause it's like 10 minutes longer than the first one, but I feel like that's a perfect runtime and it knocks out everything perfectly. I feel like. Yeah. And that's something that, and I'm, I'm going to keep comparing it to Friday the 13th because that's the one that's on my brain right now. Sure. But um, something that I think works for that doesn't work um, a lot of the time in the Friday the 13th movies is that when you have like Friday the 13th, you know, part two or part three or whatever, you have like a temple that they're trying to follow. So they're, you know, they're, we've got, you know, teenagers, they're in cabins, um, they're partying, they're doing whatever. Jason's going to show up and he's going to kill them all in a unique kind of, you know, gory, fun way. Um, but what doesn't work about it is that they don't have like, it's just Jason. And it's probably why he always gets viewed as like the protagonist. in A lot of those movies is that these kids that show up, they don't have like their own storylines. There's no like a or B story to follow. It's all, they're doing kind of generic things, um, that you would expect teenagers to do. And then they're just, you know, fodder for Jason to show up and knock down basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think what Scream 2 does, even though it's balancing so many things, it's very efficient in that everything still is kind of focused around the main storyline. Um, so while he is juggling it, it's really more just, it's, it's kind of an easy way to juggle because you, you, everything is related in a way. So it's not a bunch of separate things that have nothing to do with each other. Um, they're all things that have different levels and give different um, kind of impressions on different characters um, in the kind of smart ways. So they really, for being two hours, like it goes so quickly, but also like, um, I mean, they don't leave like any kind of like, uh, there's no unnecessary ex, there's no like unnecessary like, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, there's no cantobite scenes, you know. Like <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like they're taking. They, they don't spend five minutes trying to explain the history of uh, you know the you know, one of the people or something like. like it's all really just. Um, I mean, it's just lean and just focused on the end goal, um, and it just makes it yeah such a fun ride. Yeah, and, and I think the with the Friday the 13th, that is the appeal. Like Jason and his kills are awesome, you know? And I, I think you watch them because like no, most movies at all don't have that um, yeah. kind of thing. Um, and Jason is a silent protagonist. So you have to have something for him that's entertaining. And that's just having these amazing kill scenes, you know, but there's a few actors in there that, you know, are, are you know, are pretty good. Um, it's hard for him to continue. That's the thing though. I think, I think Craven did on purpose is when you look at like the nightmare franchise, and then you see like uh, the Friday the 13th franchises from sequel to sequel early on, especially from part one to part two of uh, Friday the 13th, they killed the survivor from the first one in the beginning of the second ones, you know, yeah. like they can't like be at peace and enjoy their lives. They have to die. Right. But on scream, he gets rid of that completely. Um, except maybe with Jamie Kennedy, obviously, but I mean, that's a little different, but it's kind of interesting that he like kind of teases that throughout the movie that like, okay, the people who live are going to die next, but sometimes won't, you know? Yeah, but like, yeah. he really pushes you to the edge of your seat, like with Dewey, for example, you know, to like, oh, am I going to follow this trope or no, you know? Yeah. But I really enjoy this movie a lot. Um, it, it, I'm not saying it's a perfect movie, but to me, it's pretty close to like what a sequel movie should look like in general. It just, it's bigger, it's better. Um, it looks better, like it's made better. Um, but it's still, you know, like it, it's not perfect, but 
Um, that's when we come to talk about sequels and comparing the first to the second one, I feel like Scream is definitely like a good one to make a conversation conversation piece for for the second one. Um, and then you can go on. I, I think I've always said that the original Scream 3 trilogy is pretty airtight. That third one for being the last one, I still think is a really good movie and it has some really good surprises on it. Um, and then with Scream 4, I personally like, but since it's in that awkward four stage, you can't like call it a franchise or a trilogy, you know? So it's like, there's just part four. Yeah. I still really like it. It's a, kind of a weird way they've gone about it. Cause I, I I'm at a point where with it, where I'm just like, if I'm going to watch whatever you guys are going to put out with it, even if I'm not, um, super confident in it. <clears throat> I mean, I've even watched the, uh, two of the three seasons of the TV show that MTV did, um, oh, which yeah. aren't very good, but I still watch them. Um, although I guess the third one, they changed the mask for the first two. I guess in the third one, they changed the whole uh, characters and stuff and also brought back the mask. So I need to revisit that, I guess. Um, I'm excited to see the Scream 5, though, um, yes. that they're working on with, um, I can't remember the names, the director, writers, directors of Ready or Not um, are supposed to be making that, which um, I think is a smart to have. Um, because there's one thing with Scream Three is that they didn't have Kevin Williamson, um, and I think it's I think the one the main thing with Scream Three is I think it suffered a bit in having his style because um, mm-hmm. he he's really good. He doesn't write like a I mean he's he's really good at writing um, a, a very tight script, um, and he's very good at writing it so as um, it doesn't have any like a lot of boring moments. Um, yeah. For example. Um, not a great movie, but um, I still know what you did last summer. The sequel, I know what you did last <laughs> summer. Um, misses on a lot of things that I think worked about the first one. Neither of them are really particularly great at all. Um, but the second one, I feel like the one thing that I notice when I watch it is that it moves at a clip. Like it's quick. It doesn't waste any time. It doesn't. You know, I think what Scream Three ends up failing to do is that it spends a little bit too much time going into the backstory which is part of like what they're trying to do yeah. um, because it's like well this is what happens but i think unfortunately it kind of that's the one thing is that it, it ends up suffering because it spends too much time kind of retconning things a little bit um but but i feel like um in scream five though having um kind of a new introduction so not Wes craven but also not kevin williamson so you get a fresher look at it and someone to, that i mean ready or not i mean i is Good enough that I feel confident to see what they're going to do with it. Yeah, ready or not, it's amazing. I had such a great theater experience with that. Such a fun movie. Uh, Samara yeah, really, Weaving. Uh, I mean, you can't beat yeah. her, right? I really wish they'd get Samara Weaving in it somehow. I know Nev Campbell's going to come back, but yeah, I really, I'll watch, I'll watch, she's an actress out right now. I'll watch anything that she does, even yes. though I haven't liked everything she does, but. Yeah. yeah, for sure. No, I'm glad we share that opinion for sure. Uh, but you know, what's almost interesting about <clears throat> Ghostface is a killer um, that and it's kind of funny that Wes Craven did it. Is he comes from the land of the Toby Hoopers with Leatherface and yeah. uh, the Friday with, with, with you know Michael Myers with Carpenter and then the Friday the Thirteenth with Jason. These masked people that we really don't know anything about. He makes his same thing with uh, Freddy Krueger, but he tries throughout it to kind of answer who Freddy Krueger was at one point. But in Scream, what he does is he masks his killer. But it's revealed to be someone that's not like this superhuman or like unpersonable um, killer. And I think that's what makes Scream so um, entertaining is like you don't have a – I mean he is a silent killer. But like you know, him him talking on the little uh, voice changer is just like – you know, I love Wes Craven basically is what I'm trying to say. And I think he's just way too much – 
he was way too smart for his time. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we weren't ready for this. <laughs> yeah, no, he's great. I've um, there's very few movies that he's made that I I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't even just just even just liked. Um, so I mean, everything he's done, I think I've enjoyed um, pretty well. Yeah. Well, Curtis, um, <laughs> I'm I'm so interested to hear more on. Um, your journey with Friday the 13th movies. And I know when that box set is coming, um, I, I definitely think I want to do some Friday the 13th episodes. So I think you might be my man to talk about that sometime. But um, Curtis, I'm so happy you came on here and you got to um, give me the chance to pick your brain on what you thought about some of these horror movies and especially with the Scream uh, movies. Um, if Again, if, if there's... Um, for people to want to follow your uh, podcast, where can they find you? Um, yeah, it's just scary as heck. Um, I think anywhere you have a podcast, you can find it. It's on Spotify. It's on um, Apple. Uh, uh, pretty much anywhere. You just search it and find it. I don't think there's anything similarly named, so it should be the first mm-hmm. one that pops up. So, um, yeah, we've uh, talked about – right now we're doing Friday the 13th. We've uh, – um, covered some other stuff before that. We watched um, Sleepaway Camp. We've done the movie Host uh, that was on a Shutter original um, um, that came out a little bit about a month or so ago. Um, so we talked about a couple things. Um, Wicker Man. We even talked about a little bit when we talked about uh, Midsummer. Uh, so we've, we've got a, kind of a, a range of things. So I'm I'm so excited. Uh, I'm going to post a link of that for everyone to check out too. Um, you already gave me some ideas just by listening to a few of those movies there, though. But, Curtis, thank you so much for being on here. Sure. Talk about Scream 2 with me. Uh, it was so much fun to just hear a fresh voice on um, this. such a great franchise, at, at least to me. It, I think it's really great, and it, I, I'm glad that there's people who, who love this. Um, but that's all the time we have today, everyone. If you liked this episode, I definitely recommend you check us out on Twitter at InsidePod or InsideSequel uh, at Twitter. Um, you can follow me at Hurtastic underscore, underscore Chris. Um, basically, what I'll be tweeting all about is just movies that I like and uh, weird, uh, you know, Blu-ray pickups that maybe people are like, "Why did you spend money on that?" Uh, but you can see that they're all on Twitter. Um, we're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. Um, and there's always links all down below. If you're ever interested in being on the show, you can always uh, email the show at InsideTheSequel at gmail.com. Um, but other than that, my name is Chris here at Inside the Sequel. And remember, if you're not giving Scream, the Scream franchise a chance, do you really care about movies? <laughs> well, we'll let you go. <laughs> See ya. All right. See ya.